Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with another Afropop close-up, available when you subscribe to the Afropop Worldwide podcast and in the podcast section at afropop.org. Today, we dig into hidden meanings in the lyrics of Congolese pop music with scholar John Nimis. This episode, Surviving the Pop Apocalypse, hosted by producer Morgan Greenstreet. Hi, my name is Morgan. You might know me as a producer for Afropop Worldwide, but I'm also a musician. I'm a drummer. So a few years back, I got really into Congolese pop music, especially what's called Seben or Ndombolo, this kind of high-energy dance music that we're listening to right now. So, as a drummer, it feels like all the musicians are playing drums in this music. The bass, definitely, the guitars, but even the singers. But then, I started to notice this weird kind of non-stop talking throughout the songs. You hear that low voice just speaking? That's Kofi Olomide. He's the band leader and an extremely popular and controversial figure in the Congo. When I found out what he was saying, I was shocked. Basically, throughout the whole song, he's shouting out names, just constantly saying the names of rich and powerful people, or their nicknames, how they're generally known. And not only Kofi does this, every Congolese musician shouts out rich people in their songs. These shoutouts are called Libanga, and this kind of blew my mind. Libanga is the secret to the survival of a huge pop music industry in one of the world's poorest countries. How does this work? Stay tuned. Surviving the Pop Apocalypse. A lesson from Congolese music. But there's another side of Congolese music that I really struggle with. These very popular, slower ballads with lots of elaborate singing, some in French, which I do speak and understand, but mostly in Lingala, the dominant local language in Kinshasa. Yeah, I mean, a song like this just doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> like, I'm just not into it. But I think it's because I don't understand the lyrics. So I called someone who might be able to answer my questions about how Libanga works, and also shed some light on what's going on in the lyrics that make these slow songs appealing. I mean, I understand that this is a love song. Hey, John. Can you hear me? Yeah. Why don't you start by just uh, introducing yourself? Okay. Uh, I, my name is John Nimis, and I am currently an assistant professor uh, in the Department of African Languages and Literature at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, yeah, I was, on, I was on a Fulbright scholarship in Kinshasa in 2006-2007, and I've been back a couple times since then. Okay. And, um, and you're also a musician? Yes. I started as a classical pianist. Um, I started playing guitar in high school. And I've been interested in Congolese music since I was a teenager. It actually really was part of what got me into French. 
Awesome. So one thing that I'd really like to talk about today that's that's really interesting to me. So for me, the seven Ndombolo music, that's what's most exciting. Those are like what the obvious hits are to me, but that's because I don't speak Lingala. And I'm assuming that what's interesting there is the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty typical for people to get kind of seduced by the seven. I mean, that was me for sure. In, in high school and college, I was all about the those high guitar parts and the dance, the dance aspect of it. Um, it was a real evolution for me to get more and more into the lyrics. I mean, I was always curious about it, but yeah, now I listen mostly for the lyrics. I, I still love a good seven, but it's more about the lyrics for me at this point. I was really shocked when I found out what people were singing about and not, I would say more confused than shocked. I, it was, it's really hard to translate Congolese lyrics. Uh, they're very strange and um, I find them aesthetically very strange. Huh. Okay, let's get into some specific lyrics then. Uh, I want to listen to some songs with you. Uh, let's start with Falia Pupa's 1000% Mawa. Uh-huh, sure. The song came out in 2013, but he just put up a lyrics video on YouTube, and I was just checking it out. And I, I did watch a little bit of video. I listened to it. I translated some of the lyrics, so I do have a little bit of an idea of what's going on in there. All right, and let me press play over here. So just anything that jumps out at you. That kind of breathy spoken voice is very reminiscent of Kofi, who was Ali's mentor. Now this is a more typical shouting out of Libanga's people's names and their titles, people's titles. It's pretty funny. So like what? What's he saying? Like there one guy was the boss and uh-huh. um, it's like these little epithets for different people. I didn't really catch all of them. But. And this is a story starting. Eric Mandala, Willy Mandala. So I'm pretty sure this is a song that is from the narrative perspective of a woman singing about how she longs for this man. Uh, and it's uh, it's a name that's in there. I think it's a real person's name. This is a very common thing. In this in this song, it's Gaëtan, the guy's name. And there's even a last name in there somewhere. Um, and that's probably a real person. Who paid to have his name in the song. Yeah, it's a little bit less cut and dry than that. But yeah, who they are, whose praises they are singing through the song, and who will be expected to kind of save face by, you know, being being kind to them in a usually in a monetary way. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so different than the way it works here. Yeah, it's it's very informal and kind of squishy the way that those arrangements work. This is really Fally at his best. It's so beautiful, the melodies. Yeah, he has this high, clear voice. It's so, so perfect. 
And I don't know if you know this term mawa from the title of the song. No. It means melancholy or pity, but it's a it's a bad feeling of aloneness and sadness. And people talk about mawa all the time. Wow. So a thousand percent mawa, he's just saying, that's how much my heart is suffering from loving you and getting nothing back. That's kind of the punchline of the song. Wow. I mean, the affect of the Congolese songs is, it's. I started really hearing them differently. It's pain. It's painful. It's, uh, and it, but it's this really delightful pain that it causes people when they listen. And that's kind of the point of it. Huh. And even the seven, though, the seven seems like a release from that pain. I, I wouldn't call it a release, and I don't think that's how people necessarily think of it. It's more of a kind of continuation beyond words. <laughs> I recognize so many of the Libanga. I, I don't know necessarily who they are or even what they're saying exactly, but it's the same ones over and over again from song to song. Really? Why is that? It's this, There's only so many rich, powerful people in Kinshasa, so they, you know, everybody kind of uses them. They use the same ones from song to song. Um, another kind of more theoretical explanation for that is that uh, somebody kind of deserves to get paid if they shout somebody out in a song that's a big hit. So in a way, they're kind of covering their bases. There's some people they shout out in every song because they're not sure which one's going to be a big hit. Oh, okay, got it. But the idea is that I made your name, you know, I put your name in every taxi, in every bar, in the whole city, you know? Wow, so it's not a pre-arrangement. It's not something that they've talked about in advance. It's certainly not contractual, but nothing's really contractual in Kinshasa. Nothing is that cut and dry. It's not like totally unexpected when somebody gets shouted out. Okay. There are these kind of ongoing arrangements. But um, say you get, say you meet somebody and you get shouted out in one song and that song becomes a hit and you don't reciprocate anything. You don't answer the call, so to speak. Uh, that's going to be your last shout out. Okay. So in that sense, there is a... You know, they're communicating about this, but very indirectly in a very kind of, um, yeah, not in a really, yeah, like I said, not contractually. Okay, got it, got it. For me, Libanga is one of the most interesting aspects of this music because you wouldn't necessarily notice it right away uh-huh. if you don't understand or if you don't recognize the names. It can kind of be woven into the fabric of the song. Very much. A lot of people will weave them in in the sense that they'll say, can you hear, can you hear me crying, so-and-so, and they'll say their name right. or something like that. Right, right. But Fali will just, it'll be like, this love is tearing me apart. You know, Joe Robinson, uh, Natalie, Sophia, you know, then it's just, it's just the names. It's not like they're not really attached to any particular statement. Right. I find that so strange to just like, it's almost like there are two stories going on at the same time. Very much. Uh, yeah, at least two stories. Yep. A lot of Congolese complain about how many Libanga there are in the songs. They'll just say, ah, it's garbage. It used to be all this beautiful lyrics and now it's just people's names. It's just garbage. But anybody who gets shouted out in a song or who knows somebody who gets shouted out in a song, they're so excited about it. They're so, it's such a big deal. Bernard <laughs> 
So the song that we were just listening to, it's sung from the point of view of a woman for a man, and the man is essentially a, a, a target or a recipient of libanga. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about why it might be sung from the perspective of a woman? Well, I have my own theories about that. Uh, I think about that a lot. And um, in the context of kind of patriarchal Congolese culture, women need men to survive. That's the way that men think about women. And so to take on the role of a woman that that, that needs a man is it's just a more there's a more emotional intensity to the plea there's nothing really queer about it in the sense that we would talk about in the west um it's you know it's not really read in the mainstream it's not really read as you know men adoring men it's really about these really uh heterosexual heteronormative patriarchal relationships and using those relationships and that structure to uh, put oneself in a position with respect to somebody powerful of saying, I'll die without you. I need you. You have to be there for me. The way that a wife would say to a man in Congolese culture. These musicians actually need material support from the powerful in Kinshasa. And so they are overlaying that story with this love story, which is also the same story as the kind of failure of Congolese civil institutions and political institutions to kind of keep, uh, yeah, to keep people afloat. Right, because there are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Basically, there's, you know, the, the civic society has suffered so much in Congo that the only real paying patrons for musicians are the ultra-rich. Yeah. The context in which I read Libanga, the way I talk about Libanga is as this really miraculous and just ingenious response you know, innovation basically in how the recording industry is financed. Because what I always tell people is these musicians don't make, they make almost no money on CDs because piracy is so rampant and the government has no ability to enforce copyright law. And they don't really make much money on concerts, but I think the real way that they have an ongoing material support, it's not a recording contract, it's not royalties or, you know, intellectual property, it's just having these rich people be in their pocket or being in the pocket of the rich people, however you want to see it. Right. So it's really this kind of direct support system. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. I really think they're onto something. And I think that the world of intellectual property rights internationally, it's a very precarious world. You know, piracy is rampant everywhere. Definitely. And there's a lot of doomsday talk about the end times of the recording industry as we know it. And uh, I really like the idea of the Congolese musicians and their model as this kind of organism that would survive the apocalypse, right? You know, if there is this kind of, you know, music industry apocalypse that happens, the Congolese musicians are going to be fine. They're not relying on, you know, all, all the, the complex laws and, um, you know, technology, digital rights management. They're not relying on any of that stuff that everybody else is just so scared is going to go away. So, uh, I don't know. That's the way I think about it. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. I better start looking for some sponsors. <laughs> okay, let's listen to another song, Eternellement by Kofi Olomide. Uh -huh. And this is from the year 2000, and it's with Falia Pupa. 
So he used to sing in Kofi's band.、Um, Fali was for a very long time、uh, Kofi's number two, and really just became a huge name and stayed with Kofi for a long time after he probably had enough kind of cultural capital to split off on his own.、Um, but yeah, so this song was from. The, I think it's really the high time of. Of Kofi Olomide's band. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of fallen off a little bit lately, at least、uh, in terms of popularity with fans.、Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, people, people kind of hate him because he's such an effective manipulator.、Um, and so, but, but, you know, that's what, that's what he does. That's, why, that's what he's good at. That's why he's so successful. And that's why he makes such great music, too. And he called his most recent album Treizième Apotre, right? 13th、oh, Apostle. 13th Apostle. I think that、uh, rubs some people the wrong way. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's a sense in which he's like a Miley Cyrus, in that he's trying to be as provocative and kind of shocking as possible.、Um, that's a big part of his game. It's one of those things where, like, any publicity is good publicity. So he's just <laughs> more and more outrageous as time goes on. And people pay attention to it. Even if they don't like it, they still pay attention to it.、Um, he's, he's, a, he's quite a force to contend with, Kofi. <laughs> All right.、Um, well, let's,、uh, let's give it a listen. Kofi has great choral vocals, and his songs often start with a choral vocal like that. And that's just kind of a chest thumping line at the beginning that has nothing to do with anything. It's I've been wounded, but I'm not dead yet. The musicians always paint themselves as being persecuted and being kind of under attack all the time, but being tough and kind of resisting despite everything. And、uh, basically, right after that, he starts with the Lubanga, right? Yeah, he's just starting the names. Now, the second Lubanga here, so Eden Saboga. Pointe Noire is a place. And then he says, They, they cry for Laurent Lorenzo. And Laurent Lorenzo is the subject of the whole song. So he's kind of listing all the people that worship Laurent Lorenzo. The gender is weird in this song because they pronounce it like Laura and it gets transcribed by others as Laura. But the guy's name is Laurent Lorenzo. So that's a well known name. And do you know who he is, this guy Laurent?、Uh, vaguely, yeah. I mean, if you Google him, there's YouTube videos of him. People worshipping him and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the lyrics and just laughing because I enjoy them so much. What does it mean, my darling walks like an extraterrestrial? I, I, I'm not quite sure. It's, it's just she's got such an unusual stride. So, <laughs> you know, it, it must be a good thing. <laughs> People in the US say 110%, right? It's kind of a goofy thing to say.、Um, but there's a line in Eternalement that, is, that kind of functions according to the same logic. He says,、uh, you know, Laurent, when you smile, I see the, the, the gap tooth in your smile. And I see your Kingo Zomi. But the, there's, a, there's an expression that's、uh, Kingo Mwambe. It's like a figure eight. So it's when you're, when you're fat and healthy, your neck makes a kind of. It's like half of an eight. You know, there's neck rolls, basically. <laughs> so he's basically praising his neck fat? Yeah, he's praising his neck fat. But this is the thing. When you say Kingo Mwambe, that's like、uh, your figure eight. But Fali says Kingo Zomi, which is like your figure ten. <laughs> so it's like even more neck rolls. You just add two and it makes for more neck rolls. So it's this totally crazy displacement of. 
You know what I mean? It's it's this inconsistency in the fi- in the figuration. But people do this all the time. They just make it more. They make it bigger. It's just more stuff, and that that means more. Um, even if it just erases the figure eight meaning of the of the metaphor. Um, and he's he's praising his neck fat because that's a sign of richness. It's a sign of health and yeah. wealth. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the French word television, you can hear. Right. He just shouted out Kofi there with one of his nicknames. Oh, wow. It was like a mini Libanga to Kofi. That verse is so, it's so, it's so wonderful and it's so bizarre. It said, uh-huh. back in the day, you were like a roach at a chicken market. And now you're like a roach in a bottle. And now people watch you like they're watching television. So it seems like these three totally bizarre and unrelated things. But this is how I understand it. The roach in the chicken market is a cockroach you're talking about, an insect. So it's a it's a it's a bug that's running around with chickens all of them, and all the chickens want to eat it. So it's like they're in the mix and the chickens are all chasing after the roach. Everybody's trying to get at the roach. So it was, you were this desirable person that was in there and everybody was fighting for you and now that you're like a roach in a bottle when a cockroach is in a bottle you can't get it out because you can't stick your hand in to get the roach out and you can't shake the roach out because it can hold on really tight to the inside of the bottle so it means you're inaccessible now you are unreachable and so they're watching you like television means um, people can see you but they can't get to you you're far away but even though you seem to be right there but it's, I, I think that it's really a metaphor for um, the, a person who is no longer on the market, who is just, you know, kind of either they've gotten married or they've gotten engaged, they've gotten serious about somebody else, or else they're just somehow out of the mix. They used to be in the mix and now they're out. And so now everybody sees them, all these people that used to be pecking after them, and now all they can do is watch from a distance. They can't reach them. But, but all of this is directed towards this guy, Laurent. Yeah. So in a way, it's like saying, oh, why have you left us? You're so far away. You know, show us some love again. Absolutely. Show us some love. That's definitely what the implication is, is, you know, we're suffering because you're not with us. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. But it's just totally, totally out there for figurative language, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Even Jolie Patrick and Ruby. That's the song. Ah, that's a great song. Ah, totally. I love that one. Well, thank you so much, John. Sure. I mean, this is definitely uh, both of these songs have a lot more meaning to me now than than they did before. Cool. All right. Well, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you get to it. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. But to keep this series going, we need your support. If you like reports like this and you want to hear more, visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Morgan Greenstreet.
Hello, Neil. 